I'm back. <laughs> Yo, man, that's my trademark. Y'all can't be stealing that. Why you gotta be using that, dog? It's better than. Yo, hey, what's up, Well Family? <laughs> uh, man, it's only been three weeks, but I still missed y'all. Uh, man, for those of you that do not know me, my name is Sean Kim. I am the church planting resident here at the Well. And man, um, we are planting a church in January 2022 in Domain, as just Tori has announced. Uh, if you're interested in church planting, sign up for that interest meeting, man. I would love to cast vision and talk about what God is doing in our family. Come and join us. Come and join us. And also give the opportunity uh, to carry out the vision here at the well and being a sending church. So if you think you're a legit leader and, and, and you think you're Tori's best, come come with me, y'all. <laughs> I'm about to take some of your elders, dog. <laughs> Uh, but man, um, I was reflecting on that, right? And I'm excited to begin to cast vision and church plant. But at the same time, I'm going to be honest. As Tori was sharing that, I almost started crying. I'm very sad. Because in this last year and a half, the well is where Christine and I call home. It's a place that we healed. It's a place where we had our first miscarriage and we got embraced. It's where our second child was born. It's where our marriage has been good and, and things have been going well. And, and man, not only uh, do we are doing life with you guys, we feel so loved. And you guys are not just friends or people we know, but you guys are family. Yeah. And it's hard. It's hard to think about leaving. And I was reflecting on that and I couldn't be helped but to move to worship. Because even in the midst of a residency program where I'm supposed to build up relationships for this last year and, and that COVID began to hit, where we're supposed to build those relationships, the thing that I realized that God is faithful. We have met people who in the first five, 10 minutes, 10 minutes of talking, of me saying something, they're like, hey, we want to plant with you. Wow. We have had conversations with people who wanted to donate to our fundraising. Even a member at the at the well, connecting me to their father who faithfully served at a church in Rockdale and donated a significant amount of money to our church plant. We have Hannah Woosley, who's gone halftime in her position to uh, fundraise and become a staff member at our church plant. We have people who are excited about leaving with us. And here's the thing, even though I felt like I'm not doing enough, God has been asking me to stay the course and be faithful, just like Tori preached last week. Mm-hmm. It's not me building a church, but my call is to be faithful where I am and that God will build his church. Whether that be the well or whether that be the domain, he is faithful. And that is a question I want to start off today is this. Do you believe that God is faithful? Do you believe that God is faithful? Do you trust that God is who he says he is and his promises are true? Because it's crazy to think about, right? We are now officially one year into the guided gatherings. I was the last person to preach on March 8th, man. I'm totally smiling right now. I'm sure if you knew, I'm sure if you knew that that was the last sermon, I wouldn't have preached. I wouldn't have preached. Uh, but it seems like forever ago. But here's the thing. It's hard, um, it's hard to look at the good at 2020. But I think it's important for us as God's people to reflect and think about the work that God is doing. Amen. To remember and trust that COVID is not going to stop our 
Because here's the thing, even though we as God's people have not regularly gathered, that does not mean that our God did not move. And I think oftentimes we look at our present circumstances and it often dictates how we perceive God working. But God is bigger than our circumstances and he moves. And as Tori led us last week, I hope and pray that you guys have a longing and desire just to worship. And I don't know about y'all, but man, I've been moved. My soul, my mind, my heart, my strength have been moved for a longing to worship on my God. And I hope and pray that you guys have applied the heart of worship and you are challenged because God is a worshipful God. And his desire is for us to know him and participate in worship, that we as God's people are craving the desire to be in his presence. God begins to shape and move in his people, and revival begins to happen. Do you long, do you long to be in God's presence? Whether that be in the living room, or that be meeting soon, do you long to be in the presence of the Lord? Revival begins to happen when that begins to shape up. And the first thing that God begins to do is he reshapes our heart. And that's the first thing that we begin to see. This happens through the realization and seeing who God is and who we really are. And as those two worlds collide, where we get a picture of a holy God who is the creator of all things, the sustainer, the perfecter of all things, and we get to see ourselves in the mirror in our sin, either two things will happen. You will cling to God and you will beg for mercy or you will start running thinking that you can outrun God. Man, I can't even outrun, I can't even outrun Mary. How can I outrun God? (laughs) Man. But do you believe that God is faithful? Mm. So that's where we're heading. That's where we're heading. And we're going to switch it up, man. I am actually going to shed my Presbyterian ways <laughs> right now. And uh, I do not have a three-point sermon. So if you're like, yo, what's his three points? I don't have that. But rather, we're just going to follow the text, right? Uh, so that's just my introduction. Uh, let's dive into Nehemiah 9, where uh, Vicky um, is going to read the passage. Hi, Well family. My name is Vicki Sean, and I lead the Aldridge College CG alongside Aaron and Dan. And with the Wells vision of church planting, I have decided to church plant with Chuhan and Christine at the Domain. Today, I will be reading from Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 3 and 6 through 15. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now, on the 24th day of this month, The people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. You are the Lord. You alone, you have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you, and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, 
the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud, you led them in the day and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. This is the word of the Lord. Man, thank you. Thank you, Vicki. Um, I don't know if you know, but I actually was Vicky's youth pastor since she was in seventh grade. And now she's church planning with us, man. What a testimony of God's faithfulness, man. So we see, right, that in Nehemiah 9, after the people gather in the city walls, Ezra stands on a platform and begins to read the law, right? That was last week. Uh, the word begins to challenge, and as that begins to happen, the people begin to take God's word and follow in obedience, right? Take God's word and follow in obedience. It's obedience and the little thing that leads to the bigger things. And the people who are moved by the law of God, as they begin to unfold, they begin to fast and wear sackcloth because they begin to realize who God is and they see how much they fall short. And leaders begin to confess their sin. Man, one thing I love about the well is the fact that the leadership here creates safe places where people can confess sin to one another and the gospel be washed over us. This happens in elder meetings, staff meetings. It is modeled with Tori and almost every single conversation I have with them, meaning we have a lot of sin to confess. (laughs) But man, what an honor it is that that is modeled. That is modeled. And the power of God is displayed as we confess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, growing up in an Asian church, one of the hardest things for me to do was confess my sin. Mm-hmm. From a young age, because I live in a culture that is based on honor and shame and guilt, mm-hmm. like we always have to show face. Wow. Mm-hmm. We always have to show face. We always have to pretend that we are far better than we really are. Mm-hmm. That's why all Asians drive Mercedes and BMWs, <laughs> even though they can't afford it. <laughs> Right? (laughs) Confession was something that was hard because we feel guilt. Mm. We are shaming the name of our family. Mm. But here's the thing. I know that I'm part of a bigger family than the Kim dynasty. Wow. Right? And I hope and pray that CG shepherds and discipleship meetings that we continue to confess sin because as that begins to happen, we are modeling the power of God's name being exalted and we are being eyewitnesses to the power of God transforming lives. And when we don't confess our sins, we are robbing one another of God's grace. 
Family, let confession of sin be a regular occurrence in your family and when you meet. Man, I'm going to be honest with you. This last two weeks, Christina and I actually have never fought. We haven't fought for like the last year or I don't know how long it's been. But we actually got in a pretty bad fight like two weeks ago. And it all completely was my fault. 100%. Of course. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Um, but man, I was reflecting on it and I was like, my agenda and what I felt like was right I was overpowering Christine, and in, the, in, in my own sin of wanting to be right, I was trampling her. Mm, but here's the thing. It's like, and here's the beauty of our marriage. We always say this is how do people who are not Christian, how are they continuing to be married? Yeah. And we don't get it. Because every single time I mess up, which is a lot, every <laughs> single time, I go to Christine, and I repent, and I confess. Mm. But here's the thing. Every single time, she forgives, and she accepts. Wow, wow. And because of that, our marriage is stronger. Mm-hmm. Why? Because we're demonstrating the gospel to right, one another. Right. Confession and repentance is a great thing. Family, let confession of sin be a regular occurrence in your family. And when you meet, the people enter into repentance. And not only their sins, but pay attention here, the sins of their fathers. I don't know about you, but I don't think I've ever thought back and confessed the sins of my fathers, right? And honestly, I haven't done it because when I confess, I only think about myself. Wow. There's an inward posture that I focus on in confession of sin. In fact, when we think about sin, we only think about the sin we commit with intention. We don't think about the nature of sin that we commit because we are evil. Wow. Say that, bro. Think about that. And we don't think about who we are because we don't view God as being righteous and holy. And if we do not start there, how do we ever realize we are wrong? Yeah. The New City Catechism says this. this that, that's something that the Gospel Coalition made to teach your kids theology. And even though it's, I don't know, it's pretty hard, but <laughs> this is what it says. It says, what is sin? It says, what is sin? Sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created, rebelling against him by living without reference to him, not being or doing what he requires in his law, resulting in our death and the disintegration of all creation. How is a kid going to understand disintegration? <laughs> Maybe they put that in there so you can explain it, man. I would have worded it like this. God, I do what I want. You don't make the rules. I am the rules. Or, man, or I would say, yeah, you do you and I do me. Right? right. right? And it's our proper understanding of God that begins to reorient our hearts. And this is where the people land in verse 6. But this is the longest recorded prayer in all Scripture. And where does the prayer start? It starts in verse 6. It says, you are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, and seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. In other words, our Father who are in heaven, hallowed be your name. There is a reorientation and understanding the nature and holiness of God. That God created all things. He made the heavens and the heavens and the heavens. What does that even mean? (laughs) He is the sustainer of all things. He knows all things. And he is the one that is worthy of worship. And even just as we sang, who else commands all the hosts of heaven? Who else can make every king bow? Even King James. I'm talking about basketball. (laughs) If you didn't know. Who else can whisper? And it says, darkness trembles. Wow. 
only a holy God. Confession always begins with our understanding of the holiness of God. Mm -hmm. That we begin to be moved into worship because God is holy and God is a God of justice. Mm But even our understanding of God, we can see that God is a God of love, wanting to know him by being what, a God of mercy. Mm-hmm. Nine, one, 9 through 15, right? What does it say in 9? It says, you saw the afflictions of our fathers in Egypt. You performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh. You divided the sea before him. By a pillar of cloud, you led them in the day. By a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven. You made known to them your holy Sabbath. You gave them bread from heaven, their hunger, and brought water for them out of the rock for their their thirst. The longest prayer recorded in the scripture is not about supplication, what we want God to do for us, but it's a prayer about the greatness of who God is. When we pray, do we pray for our needs or do we pray the greatness of God? Come on, God. Throughout Nehemiah 9, the word you is used 37 times. And throughout this passage, we see time after time, the focus of this prayer is not internal, but it's all about, oh, God. This prayer in Nehemiah 9 is not about us. It's about the beauty and the magnitude of how big our God is. You, your, for you are. The focus is not on us. The focus is on the one who is what mighty to save. The focus is on the creator, sustainer, divine warrior, the savior that would demonstrate his love by giving his creation himself. Think about that. And we see that. The world is not about us. It's about God. There's beauty to understanding who God is. And as the people begin to reflect on the nature of God, the only thing they can do is cling on to his mercy because they begin to realize the sin that is in their hearts and how merciful God is. We see that, right? We see it in Moses as he enters into the presence of a burning bush. We see it in Elijah who sees the tail end of God's glory. We see it in the Ark of the Covenant that is about to fall and someone tries to grab it and dies. We see it in Isaiah 6 where he encounters the throne room of God. When we realize and we begin to see the holiness of God and we uh, and that begins to unfold, we realize how lost we really are. Yeah. We need to become lost before we are saved. Yeah. We have to accept the bad news before we accept the good news. Right, that's true, man. That's what begins to happen. They reflect on the holiness of God and they're in this posture and all they can do is sing of his greatness, sing of his mercy, and there's revival that begins to break out. But what happens? Nehemiah 9, 32-38, where my good friend Nick Garza is going to read. Hey, my name is Nicholas Garza, and I'm a proud member of the Southeast Community Group, as well as a coordinator for the setup team, and excited to announce that I will be joining Juan and Christine Kim's church plant in 2022, where you can get free haircuts and Korean barbecue. <laughs> so today, I'm going to be reading out of Nehemiah uh, chapter 9, verses 32 through 38. Now, therefore, our God, the great the mighty and the awesome God who keeps covenants and steadfast love. Let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, 
our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all of your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept up your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in their kingdom and amidst your great goodness that you gave them, and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they do not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves to this day, and the land that you gave our fathers to enjoy its fruits and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you've set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please and we are in great distress. Because of all of this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of the princes, our Levites, and our priests. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Nick. And guys, if you guys want free haircuts and barbecue, come holler at your boy. Um, the haircuts might not be as good. It might be uneven, but man, I can cut hair too. So shoot. Uh, but thank you, Nick. I mean, I, I'm his barber, by the way, too. So uh, man, notice what happens at the conclusion of this passage, right? They remember the holiness of God. They are reminded of that and they see instances of God's mercy. And then in verse 33, we see the people turning away from their sin. It says, yet you have been righteous and all that has come upon us for you have dealt faithful. And it says, what? We have acted wickedly. And because of this, 38, right? Because of this, we make a firm covenant in writing. So they begin to move from confession of sin that we see in the first three uh, verses to repentance. And family, there's a difference in confessing of sin and walking in repentance. Mm-hmm. The confession of sin is the beginning of repentance, but it's not the fullness of walking in his mercy. Repentance is the freedom of being able to turn away from sin. And often we combine those two. Because confession alone is not us reorienting our hearts to see our rightful place and who God is. But oftentimes confession alone is for us to what? To save face. It's we are trying to make things right by stating what we did wrong, but our actions and our heart are not turning away from that wrong. So we are just trying to seem better on the outside instead of seeing the heart that is behind. Mm -hmm. And if we walk in only confession, when we mess up what it leads to guilt. Mm -hmm. Only when we're able to turn away from that sin and cling on to the mercy of God, then we're able to turn away from sin. In fact, I would say this, that confession alone leads to religion, whereas repentance leads us to the gospel. Tim Keller, who's a retired pastor in New York, says this. He says this. It is important to consider how the gospel affects and transforms the act of repentance. In religion, the purpose of repentance is basically to keep God happy so he will continue to bless you and answer your prayers. This means that religious repentance, A, is selfish, self-righteous, and bitter all the way to the bottom. Mm. But in the gospel, the purpose of repentance is to repeatedly tap into the joy of our union with Christ in order to weaken our need to do anything contrary to God. Sheesh! (laughs) My drop. Sermon's done. Let's go, guys. Man, here's the thing, right? Compromise and passivity is not repentance. 
We need to be able to turn away and long for desire for God to be displayed and for the gospel to be known. It's not hard. It's not complicated. It's literally setting your eyes on that which is greater than you. Dang, bro. That's good, though. And that's where the Israelites land. They begin to see what it means to walk in repentance by remembering the mercies of God. But let's be honest, this is a hard place to be. None of us want to look in our hearts or look in the mirror and say that we're capable of evil. Mm -hmm. Who says that? Mm -hmm. Maybe Yusuf does, but But I sure don't, right? You're holier than I am, though. Right? When the Israelites were free from slavery and wandering in the desert, they longed not for the freedom that God gave them, but what did they long for? They longed for Egypt. Mm -hmm. We long for these things because we don't actively want to repent. But here's the joy that as we begin to do that, we see how God is a better father than any of us. What father, when they see their son cry, wants them to leave them to cry all day long? I say all day long because sometimes I, I'll be leaving my son to cry a little bit. <laughs> because I'm not going to lie, Ezekiel's my newborn son. And sometimes I'll be like, yo, he got to learn. He's like only three months old. But here's the thing, right? God is a better father than any of us. <laughs> and praise the Lord, he is. And when we cry out, God delivers. When we think about the attributes of God, I think we think about him in the masculine ways. But right here, grace is explained and the holiness of God is compassionate. Mm. It's meek. Mm. He responds in mercy. Mm. That is the God that we worship. Mm. Look at what happens. Look at what happens. We skipped a lot of verses, but we're going we're to jump back. Verse 16. I'm going to go here, right? This is what happens. But they, our fathers, acted presumptuously and stiffened their necks and did not obey your commandments. And what we get is we get five instances of sin against God and there should be destruction and justice. But instead of receiving justice and destruction, they receive mercy, right? So verse 17, I'm gonna go fast. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to them to their slavery in Egypt. But it says, but you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding and steadfast love and did not forsake him. Verse 18, they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt and have committed great blasphemies. And then it says, but you and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. Verse 26, nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets. And 27, it says, therefore, you gave them into the land of their enemies. You made them suffer and in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. Verse 28, you, but after they had rest, they did evil again before you. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. Verse 30, many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through the prophets, yet they would not give an ear. 31, nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are gracious and merciful God, right? There are five times that people of God are crying and seeing where sin is prevalent, and the people of God, five times where God shows his mercy. Look at the text, and here's the thing, right? You begin to understand your sin, you begin to understand the holiness of God that I'm talking about, and then you begin to see that when we sin, we deserve destruction, 
We deserve destruction. We deserve justice. But every single time when we think that we deserve justice and we cling on to the mercies of God, God does not give us justice. What does he give us? He gives us mercy. Amen. Amen. And I'm going to be honest with you. How do you marry those two? How do you begin to see the justice of God and the mercy of God? Because when I sin and I think about the justice of God, I think about guilt and shame because I didn't um, do something according to his law. And when I think about the mercy of God, I think about the cheap grace that says, you know what, I sinned, but you know what, God, you're going to forgive me. But how do you begin to marry those things? What does he do? We are confessing our sin, but we aren't living in repentance. The people here are realizing something. They're realizing that they need something more. They are realizing that over the last thousands of years, a pattern of sin that is shaped that the people don't see God. They don't see themselves. They're in trouble and they cry out to God, but God delivers over and over and over and over again. And there's a yearning and longing for an answer of God's justice and his mercy. And as that begins to happen, what answer do we get? We get Christ Jesus. God sends his son. And look at what he is, verse 6, right? He is the one who made heaven and the host of heavens worship him. He is the greater Abraham as he invites us into his family. He is the greater Moses, a mediator that is sent to save the people in bondage to freedom. He came down from heaven and kept the commandments. He is the bread of life. He's a living water so that we will never go hungry or thirsty. He is the one that rescues us out of sin and bondage by becoming our savior. And the people long for a place where they call home. He invites us into the kingdom. He is better than all these things. And how does he demonstrate his love? Verse 38. That's not the gospel. This is, we're still going in. Verse 38, the last verse. Here's the thing. They're trying to make a covenant promise to God. The word used there in covenant is that they're trying to make a yes and amen to God. They're saying we are not going to do this anymore. We want more. But if we are honest... As much as, we, much as we make a covenant with God, how are we going to uphold that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I can't even keep a promise to my child and my wife. Right. How am I going to uphold a promise to a living God? Wow. And we can't because our sin and our heart want what's best for us. Mm-hmm. But, 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 it's through the blood of the Son that we don't make a covenant with God, but that God makes a forever covenant with us. A yes and amen, my people, don't you know the seal is accomplished through the sacrifice of my one and only beloved Son, that Jesus would die for us, that no longer we live in bondage, but what happens thousands of years where God shows mercy on his people, how was he able to fulfill the justice and mercy? He knew that there would be a day where the full wrath and judgment of our sin would be poured upon his son. That is Jesus who did no wrong and his existence defines mercy that God will not show him mercy. But he would take the penalty that we deserve. And because he accomplished the mission on the cross to die for our sin that we believe in him now that we get to live in the freedom of grace. We get to live in the freedom of grace. That is the good news. Do you believe that God is faithful? Do you fear repentance and the fear of man and woman? Or do you fear God? 
Because every single time that we come before God and we live in the beauty of the gospel, what does it say? It says that his son paid for that penalty. He paid for the penalty. Do not waste an ounce of the Savior's blood. Romans 6, 1 through 4 says this, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How should we who die to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead with the glory of the Father ever, that we should be walking in the newness of life. We live in freedom. When we walk in repentance, we begin to realize what he did. He knew. He performed. He did the action. He is the one that accomplished our mission. The only thing that we offer to the gospel is our sin. There is no action that we do. Why then do we live in guilt? Thinking our sin is our identity. Don't you see, family? Don't you see, family? We don't want to repent because we think we are our own savior. We think we can save ourselves, but don't you know the only one that can save you from guilt into freedom is the one who is perfect by willing to give up himself up and pay the price. Mm-hmm. It's Christ who saves. Mm-hmm. We turn to him and in return, we get the fullness of walking in freedom. Mm-hmm. Don't you see? We live in our kingdom in fear when the power of God is there for us to grasp. Yes, Revival begins to happen when, the God, when God's people begin to repent. Yeah. The more we lean on the power of Christ, the more his love is displayed. That's right. And the That's more right. the fragrance right. of his beauty for the world to see. That's right, dog. That's good. Think about that for a second. Man, this nation is messed up. This year was messed up. Mm-hmm. And every single time that we think about policies and we think about this and we think about the injustice and we think about the right and wrong from BLM to COVID to all these different things, there's something that stirs up in my heart that I become frustrated and angry. Mm -hmm. But never have I as a church been led in repentance. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing, if the church had modeled repentance, wouldn't these things be solved? Mm -hmm. The church needs to repent. Mm -hmm. We as God's people Mm -hmm. get to walk in repentance. Mm -hmm. When we fix our eyes on Christ, he restores all of our fullness. Keep your eyes on Christ. Have confidence in the gospel. He will keep his promise, period. We as God's people get to walk in repentance. As we walk in repentance, we reorient our hearts in the forever promise that is yes and so be it, yes and amen. My son has accomplished the mission. We live in the freedom of being a people who are unashamed. That we don't live in fear of man and woman, but we are assured of who we are in Christ. We now begin to live for something else. Yes, our mission as Christians is to do good works for the kingdom. Even more, our mission as Christians is not works, but it's to live out the gospel. That we would be people who are concerned about modeling repentance. And if we do not do that, we belittle the love of God. Mm-hmm. But when our life are not consumed by looking at ourselves and rightfully seeing Christ, mm-hmm. the world will know Jesus. Mm-hmm. And this is our life. Mm-hmm. This is our story. Mm-hmm. Do you believe in that? Mm-hmm. Repentance is freedom and living in the forever covenant that God says, yes That's and right. amen. Right. I love you. Do you trust in God's faithfulness? Mm -hmm. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you, O Lord, for who you are. We thank you, O Lord, that as many covenants or promises that I want to make, I can't uphold those things, but you are a God that is full of justice and full of mercy. And we thank you that it is through the blood of your Son and the sealness of that that you made a forever yes and amen to us. And we know that because of the resurrection of your Son. Father, let that be the living testimony of our church. Move us into repentance and things that we need to repent for. Move us into repentance, O Lord, to have empathy for people who are suffering, to walk into those things that Christ walked into those things. And let that be the joy that's in our hearts, and let us be the fragrance and the beauty of representing and knowing, O Lord, that we are saved and we are your children. And because of that, that people will begin to feel and see and know that there's something different about this church. That our church be a church preach and live out the gospel and in that beauty in that beauty would many come to know your name so father I just pray a pastoral prayer for those that are struggling with habitual sin right now that you will show them you will show them the love of Christ that's in their lives that they are no longer a slave to sin but they are free from the bondage of sin they are forever set free because of the work of your son. Let that be the living truth. We love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.